Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here at Dane Lee. Uh, been a little while since we got one of these recorded. Um, I wanted to kind of get into, we just celebrated on uh, June 1st was seven years of the gym being open. Woo-woo. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, it doesn't seem like seven years, but at the same time, it seems like uh, like I've had my own gym for a, a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so... You know, of course, you've been here since the very beginning. So, you know, I think both of our businesses have kind of evolved. Let's put it that way over time. That's a good word for it, yeah. Um, definitely, like, you know, we, we've done some things, tried some things, screwed up some things, done some <laughs> things right. Once in a while, we do things right. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that when you look at it in the grand scheme of stuff, like... You know, what's, again, I'm probably going to screw up these percentages, but, you know, I think it's like one in every five businesses will fail in the first year, I believe, or the first five years. I think five years. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty substantial that you're not even going to make it through a year. Um, it's not too small of a percentage, but like, it's like one in five businesses. So 20% of all businesses that open small businesses will make it five years. Um, and then that number gets even smaller to 10 years. Um, I forget the exact amount, but it's something right around, uh, I think for 10 years, it's something like 8% of businesses, maybe 7% of businesses. I'm gonna look. Um, I think I've tried to look it up before. And I think there was like of, uh, of wide variety Mm-hmm. Like I think one said Probably five, eight, another said like 12 or 13%. I, Oh, wow. So 20% of new businesses, according to, uh, this one said, uh, new businesses within the first two years, uh, fail 45% during the first five years and 65% during the first 10 years. Yeah. Well, there's only 25% of new businesses that make it to 15 years or more. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. Like I knew the numbers were high, but wow. Yeah. I think some, you know, some sites it's even smaller. I think it depends on how many businesses they're taking into account of if it's a small business versus a large corporation versus yeah. a startup or, you know, um, so it just kind of depends what they're pooling from. But I mean, even so those are, you know, some pretty crazy odds. Uh, so thing is, is, you know, and I, I want people to remember this for all, you know, businesses that you kind of support is especially the smaller ones. You have to remember like, that's a, um, that's someone's whole life essentially. You know what I mean? Um, that is the way that they earn income through whatever their business is, uh, to support their family and, and do all the things that, you know, everyone else does. So, um, you know, at least for like the way my business is set up, like, it's not the same as your nine to five. You know what I mean? We don't have all these things guaranteed to us. Um, We don't have some nice health insurance through our work and, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. That's just not how most small businesses are set up. Um, In, I won't get into all the various types of small businesses uh, because it all depends how you're incorporated or whatever um, to how it's set up. But, you know, everybody that comes into a small business, they're doing it for a reason is that they're probably passionate about whatever field they're in. 
Uh, most people don't start mm-hmm. a business centered around, uh, especially if it's brick and mortar, <laughs> centered around a um, a product, uh, whatever that you want to call it, that they they're not interested in, or they don't see some value mm-hmm. into humanity. So, um, you do see that a lot more with all the online, mm-hmm. like the entrepreneurial craze that happened over the last five years. Yeah, it's like, well, well I'm going to start an online business. And the difference between the brick and mortar person and the passion and just like life blood that has to go into that to make it exist yeah, doesn't really take place with the online. And so you can see a, a real difference in yeah. how much people are willing to put into it and like how much they're willing to grit things out when it gets tough. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you're seeing it more with the entrepreneur side of even some brick and mortars of Again, business is business. If you think you can make money from it, cool. Mm. But you're seeing a lot of people go into business thinking that they're going to just make money from being an entrepreneur. Yeah. So um, I actually wanted to, and I might end up posting this. I tell you, you know, I had a little. But if you've ever heard on this podcast of like how I started the business, I'm not going to repeat it to like, you know, a great extent, but. You know, essentially, like when I started the business, um, I started with, you know, a minimal amount of cash that Mm -hmm. I used my personal cash. um, And I took big risk on the other side by using basically uh, other people's money in the way of a business credit card Mm -hmm. um, and paying that all back where I didn't pay myself really for the first two years. Um, it, It didn't account for shit, you know, and I luckily I had, you know, savings that pretty much like kept my life together. Yeah. And that was the whole plan is like, I'm going to keep this backup money because you know, the thing with the business is, um, had that business gone bust in the first year or two, at least I would have had my savings still mm-hmm. and you know, business debts, you could wipe them out hopefully. And that'd be that, or, you know, do the whole business bankruptcy thing or whatever, you know, um, and wouldn't have been as liable, but, um, you know, the thing with that that business and how we started out for the first two years is I didn't really pay myself and I reinve- I was basically reinvesting that money back into the business mm-hmm. by way of paying off debt and paying for new equipment, you know, because that's essentially you buy it with a credit card, you pay on it. Or I could have just waited forever for the cash to come in and pay and, you know, do that each month. No, I figured I was going to be successful, right? Right. Just like any small business owner. Kind of one of the things is, you know, if you're not if you're not afraid to fail, then it doesn't mean enough to you. That's what someone told me when I was like mm-hmm. getting ready to start, and um, and that was the truth. Like, yeah, there's always that fear of failing, but I think the thing that really set us up for success later was reinvesting that, and not paying myself, not taking the cash out of the business, yeah. using that cash flow because that's the number one rule of business is you create cash flow, right? You take that cash flow and you put it back into your business and you don't, you wait as long as you can to really pay yourself. And that cash flow is what helped us expand to bring in more cash flow. Right. right? And again, during that expansion time, wasn't able to pay myself a lot and had to, you, and that's how it works. That's how business works. Mm-hmm. But you see a lot of um, young, especially the younger entrepreneurs or people in general, they, 
they want they see the money and the cash flow starting to come in they start pulling it from their business instead of reinvesting right away yeah, yeah. And, and they start buying the fancy things and this and that and then soon that cash flow isn't keeping up with the debts that the business has or um you know things aren't maybe go through a rough patch or whatever because right. it's not linear in business it doesn't work that way um and then all of a sudden they have no cash on hand they have no they have debts, you know what I mean, on the mm-hmm. business and things like that. They have high overhead. But then you, in your personal life, you bought all these things that you are liable for now too. And that's the revolving cycle that yeah. fucks people. Um, so like when I was building my business, you know, uh, I, I told people don't fuck around in your 20s. I kept telling people that. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I fucked around in my 20s. I had a blast during my 20s. So speaking right. from experience. I... I I I had a blast, Mm -hmm. but I invested money and I saved money, Mm -hmm. right? And I lived very simple. So at the highest point of any, you know, uh, obligations I had was um, I was paying, I think, $400 to rent a room. You know, me and my buddy, it was his house, and I paid Mm -hmm. 400 bucks a month to rent a room. Okay. Right. And then, of course, I had like car payment, and you know, I used credit cards and you know, little things. Um, but I had less than a less than a thousand dollars a month of expenses through living, car payment, you know, besides food, it's acknowledge yeah. food in there and stuff. <laughs> but like essential expenses, where I had, you know, between rent, car payments, cell phone. You know, might be a credit card, something like that. I okay. never in, overinflated that, right? Hmm. Um, especially like even when I, then I moved into uh, an apartment with my brother. It was like $550 a month for rent and we split it two hmm. ways, right? And then you had your cable, you know, this and that. And, uh, you know, again, car payment insurances and all that stuff. But I lived simply. And then I think um, the year we expand the business, you know, come around, um, about a year later, I bought my first house, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't go buy anything like off the wall. Um, I think the most off the wall, like splurge thing I probably could have done during that time was I, I bought my truck at the time. Um, and part of that was I, one, I, I was tired of buying or borrowing people's trucks because, you know, especially when you own a gym, you're going to find out like you need to haul stuff. Uh, you need Constantly. to pick up equipment. You need to pick up, you know, wood for the platforms and like, mm-hmm. you know, piece all stuff together. So I bought a truck um, and I bought a truck, you know, for $10,000 below MSRP. It was a deal at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that truck has held value over this time. And in fact, in, in not to get too far off topic, but during like this boom of like used cars and used everything, so my truck is uh, going on seven years old, and they wanted to offer me uh, only fifteen thousand dollars below what I paid for it. So think about that. I just, I just basically leased a truck for seven years. If I if I would have took that deal, yeah. um, I just basically drove a truck for fifteen grand for seven years. When you break that down, that's not too bad. No, you know. So, um, but I didn't. I didn't take that deal. I, um, you know, kept my truck, but. Uh, anyway, the, the, back to the main point is I lived pretty simple, mm-hmm. right? Um, to this day, you know, uh, of course I have leveled up in my life and, um, I bought some things that I've, I've earned. Um, but I still don't like, I still don't push 
to to where I could push. You know what I mean? I don't. You do you? We don't go on like lavish vacations. We don't even go on no. vacation. You no. know what I mean? Yeah. We we uh, work and we we do what we have to do. Um, Would you say you're still reinvesting? into the business in a, maybe not at to the same extent, but in yeah. a similar way. Well, think of just two years ago at this time we oh, were expanded yeah. Yeah. and I dumped a lot That's of money into that expansion. Investment. So, um, you know, to put that in perspective, we're just now in, it'll be some time still, but we're just now coming to recovering that those losses. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, it's a couple years to recover the amount of money that I put into that. Right. Um, from a, I earn that money back standpoint. If yeah. That makes sense. Um, but the gym is still growing, which is good. Um, and then now that I see the, the growth that in the point that I'm at and everything, it's time to put some back into the business. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're shuffling things around. We're going to be buying some new equipment and stuff like that. Yeah. It won't all happen at once. Like we did with the last two expansions. It's right. going to be a slow build over time. So, um, you know, I'm going to purchase things that I feel like bring some ROI, mm-hmm. uh, to the facility and bring value to members where I can continue to justify having, my price points mm-hmm. and maybe even beyond those price points. Uh, my coaching rates are going up. All the coaches rates are going up. Mm-hmm. Um, we are at that point where we all are able to do that. Right. So, um, Would you say, cause for example, the powerlifting meets mm-hmm. that you took on as a project, obviously that wouldn't be as much investment as the expansion going on but would you see that as another reinvestment into the business or is that one more of the, like a side project outside of unrivaled for when we did, when we did those, the, the different meets and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's kind of twofold there. So it, it would have been a kind of a side thing outside of unrivaled. Cause it's not like on, uh, essentially unrivaled books. I wouldn't have done that. I would have okay. created a separate business for that. Gotcha. Um, but at the same time, that money would have shuffled back into the gym. Re- reinvested back into reinvested back yeah. into the gym because once you once you got to a certain point with that, I mean, yeah, you need to reinvest to buy some updated equipment, you right. know, because it's going to get wear and tear. But other than that, there's you know, besides the essential travel expenses, there's not a whole lot mm-hmm. to worry about. Um, but it is expensive to get it going, right? Right. So then you take some of that and you reinvest in your business. Um, same with, you know, this is something people do. They quit their job, their nine to five before their side hustle, which is their future business right. really gets going. And they try to make that a business, but then what people don't realize then you come up with all these empty hours where you're just trying to force marketing or you're trying to force things yeah. when you could be treating as a side hustle, still have a guaranteed income that supports that side hustle that is actually a business that grows into a bigger business mm. because you have the the backdrop, right? Right. So you see this all the time with people that are um, maybe started a business and they're getting into generally older entrepreneurs. They're getting into like their 40s, maybe mid 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes to that point where they're comfortable enough, where their business is built enough that they quit their job maybe that they've been working for 15 or 20 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um 
and then they go start this, right? Um, but you have to reach that point first, right? And if you're able to pull off both, why not? You know, why wouldn't you take the extra guaranteed income? And that's where I think a lot of younger entrepreneurs screw up because they see the headlines. Oh, do what you're passionate about and quit your job and and go into business and work for yourself. And it's all fun and games and happy. Yeah. And it's not. I see it happen on the flip side where people are scared to pull the trigger to quit the guaranteed income mm -hmm. yep. to try to get that side hustle that's now on the verge of being its own business yeah. to finally hit that last evolution and really expand you know, into being that income that yeah. they're looking to replace because they're scared to let go of the guarantee. Yeah. They, it's hard for them to have the bigger picture in mind yeah. of this is what the side hustle slash business can actually grow into over time. Like it's, mm -hmm. it doesn't have a cap on it a lot of times. Yeah. Um, sometimes the market puts a cap on it. Yeah. But what you can then do because you have free reign over how it evolves or how you kind of take charge of its evolution, like ends up having the potential to surpass any guaranteed income you had prior. But you know, that's, it, I understand like it could be scary yeah. to drop that off, but well, they get stuck it, there. And it might not happen for the first couple of years. So right. if you're making, I don't know, let's say a 50 grand salary, your side business, you might not start making that till, I don't know, three, four, five years in, you know, if then, yeah. And, but that's a thing at five years in, you could be making 50 grand at 10 years in, you could be making 150 grand. Right. You know, you don't know. You, you just, you got to continue to grow it and see what happens. But, um, you know, I'd say it just depends on what you think your time is worth. And again, your, your ROI on your time, mm -hmm. you know, so, there's been times that I've thought about, man, I wish I had another skill so I could have a side job just because I fucking want to make so much, you know, <laughs> money on the side anyway. Um, and it's like that, that was kind of the, also the moment when I realized raise my prices, you know, I've been at this point, um, where, you know, my experience, my knowledge and my results have proven themselves. I would say the results. Yeah. So absolutely. it's time just to raise price points. Mm -hmm. Um, and that will bring in more. Right. Um, and I stopped giving as many discounts as I used to and things like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's there, like I said, there's still times where I'm like, of course I have my day trading and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I try to, Get, I'm trying to get better at that thing with day trading. It's like a business. You're going to lose at times and yeah. you know, you're going to win at times and it's going to take a while to get good at it and things like that. And it's not something that I do every day. Um, but there's even then it, it, like if someone paid me enough, even if it was in this field still, right. Mm -hmm. If you paid me enough, I would probably work that in if it was worth my time. Do you know what I mean? So, um, when did you feel if you can put a time on it that you found that you were confident in putting a value on your time? Cause I know it's changed. Like even right now you just said how much you're going to charge will go up mm -hmm. just based on results when, and experience. When I started seeing the level of athlete I was working with mm -hmm. and the coaches that they came from and they told me their prices and told me how they ran things 
and I realize they're not doing anything different than I am, mm-hmm. except I, I do believe that I do things a little bit better than a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a girl come from a very, very, very well-known coach in powerlifting. Um, he charged, I think, $60, $65 more a month than I did. Mm-hmm. And um, she has complimented to a lot to the fact of my attention to detail mm-hmm. that I actually had individual programming and it wasn't some kind of, you know, everyone else is on the same shit. Right. And that I actually gave real feedback and I was actually coaching her, right? At that point, that was another point I'd already raised my prices, but that was like a reassurance that like I'm mm-hmm. doing the right thing by doing this because more and more people are going to start to realize that, that I provide a better quality at a cheaper rate than a lot of coaches do. Now my rate won't be cheaper for that much longer. Right. Mm-hmm. But I bring better value than other coaches, you know, and I'm not saying all coaches, but these specific other few. Yeah. So I think a lot of people started to realize that and word kind of got around and that's when I took on more people. So that was one. The other part of that is when I started to feel overwhelmed with my time Yeah. and I had limited time, I only have limited time. So that tells you right then and there, it is time to raise your prices and you can't take everybody on. So I started passing a lot more people off to that's a tough one to my other to the other coaches in here. Um, I've told people like, you know, when you raise that price, it does weed out some of the people potential mm-hmm. people that could be coming in. Now it does suck because, again, the more people that this gym can work with, um, the more flow you're going to get because referrals and everything else. The problem is we don't have enough coaches for that. So right. every coach here is packed to the absolute top. Mm-hmm. We're trying to bring in other people. We're actively looking for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, is that it's got to be people that want to grow themselves, which is rare. You know, It's hard to find. It's yeah. hard to find. because Or willing to learn how yeah, to grow themselves. Because you're, you're not going to get handed 20 clients when you walk through the door. You, know, you might get handed a decent amount over time, but then you've got to build yourself off those clients. But I mean, you that know, comes back and, to the guaranteed income yeah. slash side hustle conversation. Yep. Um, we, I mean, I know we've seen this with coaches where they have this going on. They may have another job with it as well, yeah. but they don't provide themselves with the free time when you're not going to make money to mm-hmm. do the things they need to do in order to bring more people yeah. in. Like there's three points of time in there and one of a, them has to be growing yourself. A great example is like, again, we had some flow, um, but this was, you know, hit seven, 800 member gyms nothing over the top and um my first three months at the the snap fitness i worked at for this guy Mm -hmm. in the first three months i topped every trainer there in sales and i was the new like workhorse i i maintained a higher level of sales the entire time i was there than all the other trainers and the, the sad part is that the one i did more myself than the other three combined Ooh, that's rough so and that's why I he handed me every consult because he knew I would sell it. Mm-hmm. And it's not like me being a salesman. It's I knew what the fuck I was doing. Soon word got around that gym. This guy knows what he's doing. He's not like some of these other trainers here. Like this is a, you know, kind of different breed of trainer. And it just brought more and more and more and more people. Part of me wishes I had higher rates back then um, 
because I was on the same percentage, you know, that a lot of trainers, um, I was on a little bit better. That's kind of where I got my model from is paying the trainers a little bit better. Cause mm-hmm. I saw like I had to give, you know, 40% or 35% back to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on how many sa- much sales I hit and stuff. So I saw it and I saw like I was paying a good amount back to the, to the gym, mm-hmm. but also I was getting fed the clients, you know, like sure I had my referrals that I was bringing in to the gym, yeah. but I was also getting some from the gym. So I, it was fair. All's fair. Right. But were those I, people that were guaranteed to sign up with you or they just made sure that they talked to you? They just made sure they talked See, to me. So the, it yeah. was a, it was like a fit consult type yep. thing. Like you came to sign up for the gym and they had an option. Would you like to talk to a, a trainer? It's free. It's a free consult. We can set you up with an appointment. Boom. Some took it, some didn't, but even like even not doing those, I got referrals. It started to be, I got more referrals than I got consults from them okay if that made sense yeah um and i started bringing in people that i knew from the area because that's where i was working at the time um and then when i started running like my boot camp which was outside of that facility um you know that was an extra i don't know maybe four or five hundred bucks a month you know and it's like i just ran one or two boot camps a week depending on my schedule and things and mm-hmm. like, I think I charge like seven or eight bucks a class, you know, and I would have, you know, sometimes be six, seven people. Sometimes it, it would be a dozen, mm-hmm. 15, you know? Um, and that created extra, just straight cash. It was straight cash paid to me. I didn't have to pay anyone. Right. Um, and that helped, you know what I mean? So I was doing kind of everything I could, um, to continue to promote myself. Um, this is back before the days of online, yeah. Well, online was there, but I wasn't Not the way that it is now. I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> you know, on on there basically. Um, but it's it was different back then. I felt like a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, they didn't try to niche. Like they didn't start powerlifting. Oh, I'm a powerlifting coach now. No, like I worked with everyone when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like old. You know, old people, young people, like soccer moms, you know, just everyday gem poppers yeah. to... If you, you walk know, through the door, I'll work with you. Kind yeah, of started working with some high school athletes, you know, and then it got into like people that wanted to go on a stage and you know what I mean? And then I just kind of kept, again, leveling up who I was working yeah. with at the time. So The comment you made about it wasn't salesy, it was just that you knew what you were doing mm-hmm. is something that really bugs the shit out of me when I look at young entrepreneurs where they try to be salesy mm-hmm. because they don't know what they're doing or they don't know what they're yeah. talking about. So they have to go to these tactics and people can see it from a mile away yeah. when you're doing it. And it doesn't matter what field you're in. I see it with coaches. I see it with practitioners, mm-hmm. anything within sports medicine. When you open up your own independent location and you want to work for yourself, yeah. when you don't know how to explain something, mm-hmm. you end up trying to sell it. instead and it bugs the shit out of me because what that tells me is either one you haven't practiced enough in order to be able to communicate well to the client coming in or you haven't studied enough to really understand what it is that you're trying to explain to them and they shouldn't be buying anything from you I don't care what it is and obviously we all evolve so like what I knew then and now are two different you know that's right I obviously know more now than I did then but um uh, yeah, I never like, 
I never fed people bullshit. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just real. Um, I know that's hard to imagine. Right. Um, but people appreciated that. Like when you're just honest with them and told them how it would, you know, how mm-hmm. to do things. So, um, I mean, how many times do you still see that now where people will repost something that's a conversation with you about their nutrition or their lifting mm-hmm. and they're like, this is the feedback I get. I can't explain like how nice it is that someone's just clear cut precise. Mm-hmm. Like, no, this is wrong. Do this yeah, kind of thing. And they appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and, and like I said, um, and I put, I put out a walk at some, I think we said this in the last couple episodes is like, sometimes that feedback bites me in the ass because people overthink their lift. Um, you know, and, and the other thing of it is like, I'll have people that send me their lifts and they explain to me what they, what they think they did wrong. And like, what <laughs> guys, like I know what I'm, I, I'm looking at it. You mm-hmm. don't have to explain to me what you think you did wrong or, you know, they'll explain like some cue that I gave before and like how it's better. I don't need all that. I just need your lift, your number, and I can kind of tell, like, if something was off, like, felt like shit, felt heavy, felt mm-hmm. light, cool. I, I understand those things. But, like, I have some people that send me, like, a whole paragraph every day with their th- and I don't need all that. I, I don't, you know. Or, um, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like over it. overthinking over, and that's a problem with queuing sometimes, so. I got it. I'm looking at the same video too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. And, when, and and again, that goes back to there's not always going to be a cue. Sometimes you just have to continue to work on those things for a few weeks. Because mm-hmm. if you're starting to over cue, then your athlete's not going to ever focus on the the one or two things you told them they need to fix. And it takes a while for that to really so, set in. Yeah, it takes a lot of a lot of time. Um, I wanted to get into these questions. Let's do it. Um, I put out there when we did have our, you know, kind of seven year, uh, anniversary stuff and some people, um, came in with questions. So I wanted to get through those. That's how you are. Um, what was the, what's the biggest change in the industry since you started? Um, that was easily online training. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, like when I started, um, I wasn't on Instagram um, I, you know, Facebook, we've all had that forever. Um, but I wasn't on Instagram until, I don't know, probably sometime in 2014, 13, late 13. I don't know. Um, I'd have to look just <laughs> but, late to the game though. Yeah, la- yeah. Later, like my, one of my friends is like, you know, like you can like share your stuff and people follow you and you could get like clients and or whatever people might know who you are because she was like explaining this whole thing to me and I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, whatever, I'll get one. You know, and like I started to see what she meant like yeah. a little bit. Um, but there wasn't as many like online trainers and it's funny because some of those online trainers back then are so stupid rich now because they created like online trainer academies and all this bullshit. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, and I saw the marketing world then. The problem is, is now it's evolved so much that everyone is an online coach. 
and that's bad. Um, there's a lot of people I've never worked with people in person, which is scary. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't care how good you think your eye is. It's different in person. And, you know, me and you have seen, can't even count how many bodies at this point we've watched move in person. Yeah. Corrected, you know, um, and just, you see the full scope of mechanics, you know, when you can circle somebody Mm -hmm. and watch and watch thousands of people move that way, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's, it's a different game. Um, but that's probably the biggest change in the industry. I think, um, I think we're going somewhere with the information that's out there that there are becoming more higher tier coaches than before. Like the knowledge yeah. curve has changed because now you can find it more, it's more accessible. Mm-hmm. So I think that's good, but it's also people can just regurgitate shit they see and people think that they're smart. Right. So um, another thing is if, in my opinion, if all you've ever had is a fitness app show you the way or a coach show you the way you shouldn't be a coach. Like it's good to have a coach and that mentor. It's good to have like a tracker or whatever for Mm -hmm. your food and all that. But if that's all you've relied on and then you turn into a nutrition coach or a, you know, strength coach or a fitness, whatever kind of fitness coach. Yeah. Um, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You should never be promoting. And that's a problem is people get their following up and they think that they're an online coach and all that. Um, you should not be a coach flat out. You need to know for yourself, how to program for yourself and then how to also work with multiple factors of people, different types of people. And usually at a lower level first, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the nutrition side is the one that really irks me because like if all you had was this nutrition coach or this fitness app telling you what to do, do you even know why those adjustments happened? Right. Do you even know why those fate, what, what's going on in the body? No. Um, do you find your online coaching, uh, helped grow your business? Yes. I mean, that's easy. Every business, um, getting on social media is going to help you. Um, and if you could, especially if you're good at marketing and things, I'm not real great at it. I'll admit that. Um, but the gym's brand is grown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people kind of, I, I don't know any other gyms around here that are known in other states. Let's put it that way. I mean, I don't, you know, and part of that's because we're in a niche uh, thing. But hey. If it happens, it happens. Yeah. Um, I don't, no one's worrying about the powerhouse down the road or the CrossFits down the road or the, you know. I the, can't think of any. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah. Um, and even in their niche market, no one knows really outside. Right. Of, yeah. All right. Anyway, um, What's the essential equipment needed to open a gym? Um, that's there's really not essential. That's tough. Yeah, it just depends like what type of gym you're building out. So if you're building out, you know, a CrossFit gym, obviously you're gonna need stuff that pertains to CrossFit. Right. Um, 
if you're building out a powerlifting gym, you're going to need stuff that pertains to powerlifting. Um, my big thing is like, no matter what gym you build out, you're going to need barbells, plates, you're going to need racks, you're going to need dumbbells, you're going to need some form of benches, mm-hmm. uh, utility benches, incline, decline, utility benches. Um, you know, those are kind of like essential in almost every gym you're going to build out. Uh, if you're going to build out more of like a commercial style gym, a good cable system, um, I mean, hell, even if you have like a, a small training gym, like personal training studio, good cable system, some form of cable system, it's very yeah. variable. Um, even though they're expensive, there's a lot of stuff you can do with them. Um, you know, odd and end things like, you know, bands, bands are very versatile. Oh yeah. You know, there's a lot you can do with them. Your members not, might not know what to do with them. But again, if you have a personal training studio, sometimes you have to put up three, four signs so that they don't (laughs) use them for certain things. Yeah. But they're, they're versatile in that sense. But then beyond that, it's just about what type of gym you want to build out. So Hmm. you have to make that decision. Equipment's not cheap guys. Um, I don't know why everyone assumes if you go around, you look at, uh, machines assume every machine is two thousand dollars or more um, most machines get to three thousand range some beyond that your mm-hmm. leg machines are about five thousand each four to five thousand each um, as far as like leg presses hack squats uh, that's you know, not maintenance that's not plates that's just the machine that's just the machine yeah. so like the uh, pendulum squat that we're looking at is uh, 40. I think forty five hundred, forty seven hundred dollars, something like that. It's a pretty and, penny. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, okay, good cable, big cable system. You know, seven grand, twelve grand, somewhere in that range. Um, you know, you you can have fifty thousand dollars and buy some stuff, and it not be a lot. <laughs> right. So uh, if you're wondering where your gym dues go. Now you know. Oh, I kind of wanted to touch on that real quick. Um, I actually broke this down one day. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Oh, here it goes. Um, so, you know, this is in our area. All right. Okay. So when you're um, priced, you know, just a, a $50 gym, you know, ours is 47 plus tax, comes to 50 bucks, right? Okay. Uh, unless you do some kind of sign up special or something like that. Um, so here's where your gym money goes. Six, six and a half percent of that is sales tax, which you guys know, you know, if you're charged 47, 50, we don't get that between, we get the money off of the 47, except you got to remember 3% of that ish is going, is gone from transaction fees. Okay. All right. Um, when you start doing that, like of that 50 bucks, you know, let's call it, there's eight and a half percent's already gone. Right. So, um, you know, and, and remember that like all transaction fees. So like, even if you're on a program or you're on like some higher thing, you know, 3% has gone mm-hmm. real quick. Right. Um, and then you also have to remember now, mind you, this is if you're profiting, you know, which hopefully as a business you are, you guys, uh, need to remember that, uh, and this is good for all entrepreneurs to hear you're going to be taxed at a minimum of 25% generally. Um, we are taxed at a rate closer to uh, 35 to 40% of our income. If you make a substantial amount of money, it's closer to 50% of your income is gone, 
right? So here's the thing. When you start breaking it down, if you take out the taxes and all that stuff, your liabilities. Now, mind you, you got your overhead to pay. You got all this right. stuff to pay. But name of the game is profit, right? Mm-hmm. When you're profitable, you're, whatever the tax rates are, these are simple. Go look up the 2022 federal tax rates, right? Any tax rate you see, add 15% to that because I think it's okay. 15.2% is your entrepreneur tax, um, your self-employment tax, right? At least in our state. Um, and I, I think that might be a federal thing. So if you're in a um, tax rate of, again, like 20, uh, 20 or 22%, 24%, whatever the hell the normal tax rate is, now add another 15%, that means you're taxed at 37%, right? So just simply, like if you go off that $50 membership, a gym is keeping maybe 30 to 33 of that, if that. You know what I mean? So, yeah. You know what I mean? People need to understand it just depends like what, again, what uh, state you're in, local local place and, and all that stuff. But... I was doing the math as you were going through that just to yeah. see how close I could get to an, an under $30 yeah. of the 50. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's right in that ballpark range. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so when you're charged a certain amount of gym and you think like, man, gyms are expensive and this, the margin is not that big. Right. Right. Um, that <laughs> it's not like we buy a good wholesale at five, six bucks and sell it for 40. You know, right. it doesn't work that way. Right. After And again, this is about keeping your overhead low and things like that. This is why gyms don't replace things right away. You know, they don't go buy new equipment right away, mm-hmm. you know, and this is why you need to take care of stuff because when something breaks, where do you think the money comes from? Where? Yeah. Your, your gym membership doesn't stretch a whole very far. You know what I mean? You got, you got to think of that, right? Um, so if you're, if you're thinking about opening a gym again, let's, Let's go back to $50 memberships, right? Hmm. Let's say your rent is 4000 a month, 5000 a month, right? Mm-hmm. And you, know, you have your utilities, everything else. Let's just, I don't know, let's just throw out there you have six grand in expenses a month. Okay. Right? And you're charging 50 bucks a membership and you got your tax rates and all that. Understand that you're going to need a lot of members to cover those expenses or you're going to have to do a lot of training. So yeah. Yeah. Just to cover expenses. Yeah. You need, you need 200 plus (laughs) members just to cover expenses, just to cover your expenses. Yeah. Um, I think people do that math wrong where they're like, you know, even, even if you were keeping the full 50 bucks at 200 members, that's uh, 10 grand, right? Mm -hmm. Six grand, your overhead, Right, you're making four grand, but then you gotta get taxed on that. Right, you know. Um. So even if you made um, whatever that equates to forty eight grand a year, mm. then you're taxed at uh, rates. I think that's in the twenty percent tax rate plus fifteen. So you're taxed thirty five percent off of that. So what's that equate to? 
About 31000 a year. 31000 a year mm-hmm. off your forty eight. So understand your margins are smaller than you think, right? Um, and the more you make, that only goes up. Right. Their tax rate. So um, understand that if you're going to get into being an entrepreneur and understand that if you're a gym member somewhere and you're complaining about prices and stuff like that, that is why. Because mar- gyms, gyms don't make great margins. But I don't know. What do I know? I've <laughs> only been in business for yeah. seven years. And, and that's just a quick example. I mean, there's there's worse scenarios than that. Um, I was just using a kind of a quick, easy, simple example. Right. So, but that's why like you see training gyms, especially charge a higher rate because there's not as many serious minded people. So like our gym should be 75 a month. Let's just be real. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to Columbus or any bigger city, this gym's a hundred dollars a month. Um, at least, you know, a big commercial gym, they can, they charge that $40 a month, maybe 35, 40, 45 Mm -hmm. a month because they're trying to bank on pulling 2000 members plus, you know, 1500 of which barely ever come in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the planet fitness model. Right. So you can go to the planet fitness model, uh, as a training gym, I'll tell you now it doesn't work. Um, I've rarely seen it work if it does. You need cheap ass equipment and um, you need to lock people into contracts for that to work. Year year contracts plus. From a recovery standpoint, my buddy Charlie will pay mm-hmm. the ten bucks a month, go use their uh, their like massage water bed yeah. and the massage chair. Yeah. He's like, It's fantastic. Ten bucks a month, he can go use it as much as he wants. Mm-hmm. Like that's genius. Yeah. Doesn't train there, but uses it for recovery. Yeah. All right. Not that I want people to go there instead of coming to see me, but. Yeah. Uh, next one is uh, I get four to five hours of sleep during the work week. Will it ultimately sabotage getting stronger? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Um, next question. I, I, don't, I don't think we have to go into that one too deep, but no. um, what was the, I think you shared this before. It's like it, one night of four hours of bad, like four hours of sleep, like suboptimal sleep. I think it's 11 or 12% decrease in performance or something like that. I think it might be higher. I can't remember the yeah. exact number, but it's at least that it's yeah. Yeah. And it's staggering. And yes, you, you could have a great workout because fight or flight kicks in. Right. Um, but go a couple days of that ain't happening. Especially if that's consistent. I mean, just the growth hormone effects and testosterone effects you're going to yeah. have that inhibit future growth. Yeah. Um, man, it can really sabotage everything. Um, how do you think having a gym that enters competitions compared to gyms like Anytime Fitness? I'm guessing he's talking about. Um, uh, I think what he meant was like training gyms, competitive gyms versus like an Anytime Fitness or okay. a um, you know commercial gym. And uh, basically, what I said is that you know in here people can use chalk; they can play their own music. Um, it's a little bit more. Uh, the, uh, gyms aren't necessarily communities anymore. I mean, to an extent, yes, a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but they're not as like everyone's best buddies, like everyone thinks it is, and what Instagram will try to show you. But there's more. Um, I think there's more amenities, like and more freedom in a typical training gym than there is when you go inside a commercial gym. Commercial gyms, to me, are a little bit more stuffy, a um, little bit. Again, commercial, mm-hmm. you know, um, sure, you might be able to go in and get a little fruit smoothie or something when you're done. 
Um, but at the same time, like a lot of them don't allow chalk. If you get a little bit aggressive in there, they might tell you to tone it down. Mm -hmm. Um, people just stare at you. It's awkward. Like if you're strong at all, people are going to come up and like bug you after your lifts all the time. It's really, what's your secret? How much are you lifting? It's really weird. Um, and in a training gym. Oh, okay. That person pulled 600 pounds. Good, good job. All right. You know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. just like, that's cool to see, but like, you just see it so often. That's just kind of like, oh, that's cool. You know, um, guy that was just talking to him out there. He's a former EOD guy says he loves it. You know, he doesn't like the whole commercial, like soft, you know, stuff. He Mm -hmm. he likes the old school feel of gyms, you know, in the old school, um, training environments. So kind of come in, do work, be done. Yeah. How much square footage do you think a gym should have? There's no limit on that. I mean, we started with like 2000 or 1800 square feet. Um, and we went into 7,500. So, um, we've done all right. Um, I think it depends again, what kind of gym you're trying to fill out and Mm -hmm. what you're trying to do. Um, but you can get really good workouts inside of like garages. So, yeah, I was going to say, I remember one time I was traveling, I was overseas and I went to work out in a gym was basically this guy's apartment. Yeah. I mean, that was the size of it. Yeah. It was super small, but had a bench, had a squat rack, had an equipment lined up on a wall. Mm-hmm. Like worked great. Yep. You can get a good workout almost anywhere as long as you know what you're doing. Uh, da, da, da. Uh, the old question of what do you like and dislike about owning a gym? Uh, um, I went into depth on that one. I'm sure you know a lot of people saw it. Um, you know, again, the the liking side is like, you know, I have my own business. I do my own thing mm-hmm. to an extent. Like I'm never off work, but I can try to set my schedule. You know, if I have to go to the doctor, I don't have to ask anyone if I, yeah. Right. Don't have to let anyone know really. I just, I go to the doctor, you know, um, you know, downsides like, you know, you can't just pick up and travel. Can't just pick up. I don't get two weeks paid vacation. Oh God. I wish. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I think the biggest thing for me was the, um, people separating business from personal relationships and stuff. And people a lot of times can't. So when I have to go into business mode, you know, that can offend people or whatever. Um, people, people don't understand like, you know, if I'm in here working out or working, I can't sit there and talk to you forever. Right. Um, in that I only have a limited time. And there's a lot of people that I have to deal with every day uh, for the most part. So, you know, there's like no real privacy um, to what you're doing. Um, And it's very, uh, how do I say it? Like you walk that line between you want to say hi to people. Thank you for being here. Right. All that stuff. And I need to get stuff done. And I cannot talk. Right. And there's days that each of those happen. So, um, you know, the emails, which we've shared before and we've talked about that we get, (laughs) like, some of the disrespect because people think that, like, oh, well, this business will just bend over backwards if I make a fuss. No, that's not how every business is going to work. And most businesses don't. If you're an asshole to a lot of businesses, you're probably not going to get much done. Now right. there, there's a time cause I do it. I've done it too. Like there is a time to be a dick, you know? Um, if you are getting blatantly screwed over somehow, mm-hmm. 
I get it. But there's really no way we we could ever screw someone over. Like everything's in black and white. We tell you 50 times how it works. Right. Um, we, you know, it's always the one thing. Yeah. Always just the, come in and sign the paper. Just sign <laughs> your damn cancellation form if you need to. Yeah, and we make things really simple in that sense, but we still have people that don't get it um, or make a hassle about it. Um, you know, it's just it's it's a different environment. Sometimes trying to schedule appointments for new signups and things like that. Mm-hmm. People don't understand that. Um, and that's, I think a lot of gyms deal with that where we, I know we dealt with it. Even when I worked at the other one, people don't show up for signups and stuff, which is very annoying. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there's a lot I could go into, but that's pretty much it. Anything, one more? Yeah, there was one more question. This one I was supposed to answer a while ago. Um, and I just, we hadn't done a podcast. Um, do I count water, the water I use in supplement mixes, protein shakes as part of my daily water intake? Um, the simple answer is yes. Mm-hmm. You know, but also understand that depending on what you're taking in, you need to account for water. So um, certain medications, mm-hmm. um, if you're a caffeine drinker or not. There you go. Um you know, things like, like, let's just do that. The things you would ingest, right? You might need to drink more water because of that, you know? Right. Um, so take that into account too. I wouldn't go drinking your protein shake with four ounces of water because you're trying to conserve like, oh, I only have so much water I'm allowed to drink today. No, right. like <laughs> fill it up to its 10 ounces or whatever, 12 ounces and drink your shake. Back off on the one gallon jug afterward a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for today. Got a podcast in finally, and hopefully we will start to get a few more out. So, got anything else? No. Uh, any announcements? Things coming up? Nothing. Nothing right now. We might have. Might have some gym special stuff going on at some point. For once we rearrange things and gotcha, um, we might bring on uh, some new coaches and expand our training a little bit. If that makes sense, I mean, we might. Fingers crossed. Might have more to offer. We will see. All right, yeah, that's pretty much it for today.